0: okay right on let's pray this morning Lord Jesus we just love diving up to you Lord we love him he's such a good brother in the Lord and he's, he's got such a heart for you and we just pray for Lord first of all we thank you that things were successful on Friday and uh, we pray God just as he recovers that you'd strengthen him Lord that, that healing would happen fast God we just pray for his heart that it would be uh, healthy and functioning right Lord we pray that his energy levels would come up that his strength would come up and God would you just bless him while he's at home this morning and not with us? He doesn't miss very often. And so God would you would you bless him? fill, your, fill his home with your with your spirit this morning, Lord, as we uh, come to the Word of God, the book of Exodus, and wrap up this series through Exodus, uh, God, we just thank you for this journey we've been on as a church. All that we've learned, God, about theology, about the Trinity, about redemption, about uh, you leading us out of slavery to sin and your heart to dwell with your people and there's been so much richness, God, and as we uh, put the bow on it this morning, Lord, we pray that in a special way your spirit would just tie it all together for us, that, that um, we'd see your heart for us this morning, that you would speak to us, Lord, and so God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we come to the word of God this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right on, so we're tying up Exodus here. Today, actually, uh, we're coming to the last six chapters, and we're going to do all six chapters, okay? Um, Moses, really, at the end of the book of Exodus, is kind of recounting four things for us. Uh, First of all, we're going to see here that he's going to mention the Sabbath again, and just... The priority of keeping Sabbath. He's going to then talk to. uh, Or invite the people of Israel. To participate in the work of God. By providing. um, For the needs. uh, For the building of the tabernacle. And then workers are going to be appointed. They're actually going to. Make the tabernacle and and all the furniture and all that 's going to be recorded here, and then lastly the the tabernacle will be put together, and the glory of God will fill it at the end of exodus uh, chapter forty and so here 's why we 're going to go quick this morning and take more of a you know a bird 's eye view it 's because these last six chapters uh, really uh, repeat for us earlier instructions that we got when we were back in Exodus 25 through 31. We went through most of that throughout November, and um, we took a, a deeper look into those details and those instructions. And in fact, the whole Exodus series is on the church website. You can go and download it and or listen to it, whatever. And and so as we come to these last six chapters. Um, They contain some pretty lengthy details, Uh, again, about the building of the tabernacle. And so we're just going to highlight some of these things as we go through those details this morning. And uh, and so all God's people said, amen. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I would say this. Really, if there is a theme to the last six chapters of Exodus... It, it's a it's a repeat of one of the major themes that has been throughout the whole series in, in this book of Exodus. And that's, that's God's desire to dwell with his people. That he could have a habitation in the midst of, of his people. You know Jesus when he taught his disciples to pray. He said God may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so. Here, you know, we saw back in that earlier part of Exodus that Moses received instructions from God. Heaven came down uh, to Mount Sinai and he, he saw into heaven. Um, and now what is, on, what was a pattern of what was in heaven is going to be fabricated on earth. And, and that's really, you know, the heart of God always. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've seen this constantly, God descends, God condescends, Jesus is Emmanuel, he has a a desire to have relationship with man, have a relationship with his uh, creation and the tabernacle and what we're going to read here, you know, I pointed out so much earlier when we were in this series that there's way more details about the tabernacle than there is about creation in Genesis and you'd think, shouldn't it be the other way around? But at creation, God's presence was there. He dwelt with his people and sin ruined that. And there's so much detail about the tabernacle because God was trying to reestablish his presence in the midst of his people. And so where the instructions were given in Exodus 25 through 31, uh, here in Exodus 35 through 40, the people are going to build it and the Lord is going to come down and dwell among them. So Exodus 35, you can turn there in your Bibles. Maybe you think, six chapters? <laughs> How's he going to do this? Is it's funny, I'm thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> How am I going to do this? No. Okay, verse 30, uh, chapter 35, verses 1 through 3 says this. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days... Work shall be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Interesting that before all the work begins, before it all gets started, uh, before the tabernacle is built, before anything can happen, God says this, you have to learn to enter my rest. You have to start right from this point and recognize the Sabbath, respect the Sabbath, and enter into the rest of the Lord. You know, the, the same principle is true for us. When we do work for the kingdom, anytime we work uh, uh, for God... Uh, it should grow out, that, that should happen out of our rest in him. Out of our rest in the work, the finished work of Christ for us on the cross. You know, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and then she anointed his feet with oil. And there was a strict call to obedience here as Moses lays this instruction out. He says, you know, whoever fails in this, this instruction is to be put to death. And if you think about it, it's it, it true for us. When I don't take the opportunity to be in God's presence, to be refreshed and renewed by the Holy Spirit, something in me dies. And so work must function out of rest. And God first called Israel to this simple act of obedience. A a basic instruction here, a basic prerequisite for doing the work of the Lord. Before we can work for the Lord, we must rest in the Lord. Before we can give to the Lord, we must receive from the Lord. Verse 4, check it out. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart. You can underline those words if you got a pen in your... Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine uh, twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goatskins, skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance, fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, and for the ephod, and for the breast piece. God had given this plan to Moses and to the people of Israel it was their responsibility to execute the plan and after Moses gives us instruction that we need to rest in God we need to take Sabbath he then invites the people of God to participate in the work and it's a beautiful thing I would say what Moses says he says whoever is of a generous heart you like that I like that let him bring to the Lord's contribution this wasn't a requirement this was not the tithe this was uh, no demand on the people at all no coercion no arm twisting no manipulation no pulling the emotional heartstrings this was an opportunity to give voluntarily to the lord out of the generosity of your own heart and to make sense of that you have to connect the idea of giving with sabbath rest See, the Sabbath is all about acknowledging that God is good, that God provides, that though I might work six days a week and strive for six days a week, that taking time and resting is an acknowledgement that God is good, that I trust you, God. I don't need to go seven days a week. I can rest in your provision. You're my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And taking that time uh, to, to rest and to Say God I trust you. Actually develops a generous heart. Which is an interesting thought here. Because that's what happens. As these people rest in God. And trust him to provide their needs. Trust him to be their provider. The generosity of their own heart. Begins to grow. And you know I would say this. God's not into grumpy giving. You you might notice that in scripture. It's like you know. That's not his gig. The arm twisting manipulation thing. You know I would say this. If you don't want to give, dare I say this as a church leader, don't give. Because the word of God tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. You know, when Jesus was at the temple and he watched people contributing to the offering, what was he watching? Was he watching how much money they put in? No, he was watching the attitude of heart with which uh, they gave. And that's why the Bible says God Love's a cheerful giver. You know, I, I think, you know, on payday, you know, when that exciting day comes, it should be exciting because we say, man, God, I want to give. How can, how can I give to your kingdom? Verse 10 Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded the tabernacle, its tent. We're going to go just read through this. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils, its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand. The hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases. Have you get that picture? You want to throw that up there for us, Calvin? The hangings of the courts, its pillar and its bases. And the screen for the gate. The pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords. The finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place. The holy garments for Aaron the priest. And the garments for his sons and for their service. Verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and everyone who possessed blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine linen or goats hairs or tanned rams skins or goatskins brought them everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as a, the Lord's contribution and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in it in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined twin linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breast piece and spices. And oil for the light and for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Wow, isn't that awesome? What a scene. I mean, could you imagine the heap that must have been laying on the desert floors? You know, a couple million people are just bringing their offerings to the Lord. Uh, Gold and silver and, you know, wood and all these different things. And, and, you know, I would say, again, notice that there was no pressure on the people to give. You know, one of the reasons why we, we set up the offering jars in the way that we do, because I just get sick of church pressure. And I I love that we just have this simple way of giving. It's like, you give. People that are prepared to give, come. you know, givers come prepared to give and they bring their offering, whether you pass the plate or whether you set jars out to receive the offering. And the people uh, gave. There was a need. Moses uh, made the need known. But then we see here, he sent the people home to think about whether they felt like they should they should give or not and then to consider what they should contribute and I like the verbs that are used to describe what happened in their hearts said their hearts were stirred in verse twenty nine 21 Their hearts were willing in verse 22. Their hearts were moved in verse 29. And spontaneously and freely and joyfully they counted it a privilege to give. And their hearts were driven by a holy purpose. And they gave and contributed to the work of the tabernacle. And the motivation mattered, as we've seen. They were to rest in the Lord. And as they rested, the, inf- the affections and the movement of their heart was to give to the Lord. And you know, uh, I just think about giving. I think about my, my own life, where my arm's been twisted or where I've given for different reasons at different times. And you know, there's, there's times when we just go about work of the kingdom and it's almost like just restless energy. Like a bowl in a china shop. And, you know, you could say this about the Israelites. Look, the Israelites knew how to make, make, make bricks and, and work in the mud pits under the whip of the taskmaster. But here the Lord just invites them to give. And they did. In that text that, that we just read too, um, Moses called skillful craftsmen uh, workers who were skilled Uh, to go about this work. This work is going to take six months to do all of what needs to be accomplished here. There's no shortage of work. And you know, that makes me think of the kingdom of God too. Jesus uh, looked at the fields and uh, looked at the crowds and told his disciples, look, there's no problem with the harvest. The problem is that there's a shortage of workers to labor in the fields. And there was no shortage of work here. And so Moses called skillful workers. Verse 30 says this. To the end of chapter 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel. See the Lord has called by name Bezalel. The son of Uri. The son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God. With skill. With intelligence. With knowledge. And with all craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs. To work in gold and silver. And bronze. In cutting stones for setting. And in carving wood. And for every work or for work in every skilled craft and he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab. the son of ahisamach of the tribe of dan he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by the engraver or by the designer or by the by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver by any sort of work by any sort of work Workman or skilled designer. Uh, we say this: where God guides, God provides, and we're introduced here once again to these two skilled workmen. Actually, we saw them in Exodus chapter thirty-one. Bezalel, his name means "in the shadow of God." Great name for one who's going to build the articles of the tabernacle. Aholeab, his his name means "father of the tent." What a name, right? You know, his his mom and dad saw him and they said, boy, look at this beautiful baby. We'll name him father of the tent. And and obviously the Lord was at work because that's what uh, he became. He was equipped and chosen for this work. And, you know, with these two men, we see that God's calling is God's enabling. He called them and he gave them the skill to do the work. They were spirit-filled men. Called to be craftsmen. And what I like about this text here. Is not only were they called to do the work. But God also anointed them. So that they could teach others how to do the work. Did you see that in there? They actually receive an anointing from the Lord. To teach others how to do work. Let's check out what happens next. Verse 36. We're not going to read all of everything here. But we will read a, a little more. Bezalel and and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall be in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab My tongue's getting twisted up. And every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill and everyone whose heart had stirred him up to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for the Lord doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came. Each from the task he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. What? Imagine that. They bring more than enough. Verse 6. So Moses gave the command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. I love that. The different individual foremen come and say, man, we've got this task. We have more than enough. We've got this task to do, we have more than enough. We have this task to do, Moses, we've got more than enough. Tell the people to stop uh, giving. All the need has been received. There's so much quantity that Moses actually instructs them to stop. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Please stop giving. I've never heard a televangelist say that. Ever. <laughs> you know. Please just stop. We have so much we don't know what to do with. <laughs> yeah. Did you? <laughs> I didn't say that. But. <laughs> if the time comes. I'll let you know. Okay. We will let you know. <laughs> but you know. Um, you know. It's just awesome to. To think. You know, I've never seen this. I've never heard of such a thing happening. in All of history. Besides reading at this one point in time here. Um, and it's just. What I love about it is the hearts of the people. Do you see how they were bringing every day in the morning to the Lord? And, and it's like, you know, their hearts were full and they said, God, man, our hearts are so full. Everything we have is yours. You want it? Okay, it's yours. You know, they heard the, the request of Moses. They went home, they thought it over, and, and they remembered. I, I just, yeah, I think they went home and they went, man, you know, manna comes from heaven. You know water flowed when we were thirsty from the rock. Our enemies and this whole exodus thing have been defeated. Anytime we've had need. God has met it with his provision. And, and I think though you know as they marched through the desert. They just said man I mean if we think about it. Truly goodness and mercy has followed us. As long as we've been following the Lord. And they could look around their tents. They could see the abundance of all that they had taken from Egypt. And now they were asked if they would give. And their hearts were moved. I think what the New Testament says, freely you've received, freely give. And, and I think the whole camp just thought, man, God forgave us. I mean, remember the sin that they committed against him with the, the golden calf? And the Lord said, look, my presence is not going with you. I'll fulfill my promise, but my presence is not going. And as they, as they repented and as Moses prayed for them, the Lord said, okay, I will go with you. And, and I, th- I think that as the Lord had said to them, I will take you to be my inheritance. I will make you my possession. They, they just had this joy in their hearts that said, man, we can trust God. He will meet our needs. He will provide and we can freely give to him. And, you know, often unwillingness to give is really rooted in trust issues with God. God is Jehovah Jireh. Our provider. And so Moses says, you know, please stop giving. Please. Just like you've heard televangelists do. Never. Uh, And so begins the work. Verse 8 of chapter 36. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine uh, twined linen And blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Recall that uh, blue is the color of eternity of heaven. That scarlet is the color of redemption. We were purchased with the blood of Christ. That purple is the color of royalty. And the tabernacle was fashioned by these curtains that were held together with These Ten curtains were taken and they were formed into one tent. And... uh, Like I said, this is approximately about six, actually I didn't say this, this takes six months, but this is about six months after departing from Egypt, okay? So the the whole Exodus story in Mount Sinai, six months has gone by, and now this work begins. We'll just look at a few verses here as we go through verse 14. He also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. You recall that... The tabernacle, can you go back one, one photo there Calvin? The tabernacle this tent was actually a, a layer of three or four tents. On the inside was this beautifully woven tapestry with the cherubim so that if you were inside the tabernacle and you looked up that's what you saw. These angels and of course there are angels in the presence of God. On the outside of the tabernacle, we read here that it was made of goat's hair. And really, you know, the outside layer was, uh, you know, I want to say it was just, not that it was ugly, but it was unattractive. If you saw this tent from the outside, you'd think, that's where they worship? Seriously? It's kind of like CTK when you pull in. <laughs> really? And... um, you know, it just, it just had this, this look and that there was nothing appealing about the outside. But you know, Isaiah prophesied that to be the case about Jesus. He said there is no outward beauty about him that would attract us to him. But it was about the spirit that was within him and the character of man and the God who he was. Verse 20, then he made the upright frames For the tabernacle of acacia wood. The walls of the tabernacle were formed by these upright frames being fitted together. They were 27 inches wide each. On the inside they were overlaid with gold. So that when you fashioned the walls that formed uh, this tent. There was 15 feet on the back wall. 45 feet down the north and south sides. And across the front 15 feet with an opening which was on the east, east side. And so you had this structure that was 15 feet by 45 feet. And on the inside it was all overlaid with gold. And so you just imagine the beauty. On the outside again you couldn't see the beauty that was on the inside. Uh, jump with me to verse 35 of chapter 36. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. With it cherubim skillfully worked into it. He made it. The veil, uh, the curtain that hung inside this tent was 30 feet in. If you were to come in the front entrance, 30 feet, there was this back, there was this curtain that hung down and it created a room that was in the back that was 15 feet by 15 feet. And we know that that veil cut off access that only the high priest could go back there and and that once a year on the day of atonement and that place behind the curtain was called the most holy place and there uh, the ark uh, was set and it was the ten commandments Uh, over the top of the ark was the mercy seat where the high priest would present the blood uh, once a year and we know that when the temple was eventually built that it was that veil that was torn in two when Jesus was crucified. It was through the death of Jesus that access to the father was open for us. It's through the death of Jesus that we find life. And you think about conversations that you have with people sometimes. People want to identify with Jesus. They say, I, yeah, I want to live my life like Jesus. I want to follow the golden rule. I'm going to follow Jesus. But we don't find life in the life of Jesus. Our life is found in his death. That's why the gospel message proclaims that we must identify ourselves with the death of Jesus Christ. That he died in our place. That upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. And we receive the new life. We are born again when we identify with Jesus in his death. I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. Jesus I recognize that you died as a substitution for me. You you died in my place on that cross and through your death I have life. By your blood shed on that cross I can be washed clean of my sin. And and the rubber stamp on the work of the cross is the resurrection. The resurrection is God's approval of the all sufficient work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus was raised from the dead because death could not hold him down but Jesus was raised from the dead because the father said I accept the work of the cross for the sins of the world. And our life is in his death. We come to chapter 37. It says this in verse 1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length. And a cubit and a half its breadth. And a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside. Uh, The ark would be placed in the most holy place. We, you might recall that way back when we were looking at this in Exodus, we said, this is a picture of the nature of Jesus. Uh, A wooden ark, picturing humanity, but overlaid in gold, deity. And, And we talked about that nature of Jesus that that's such a mystery to us. His, his humanity and his deity. And how did that all work? And, and it's a mysterious thing. But the ark is a great picture of that for us. This wooden ark overlaid with gold. Put in the most holy place. Inside it was placed the ten commandments. Uh, we haven't read this in Exodus. But elsewhere um, in, in the early books of the Bible. I, I believe it's in Numbers. We read that, one, uh, that a golden jar was also placed inside it. And in it had manna the bread that came down from heaven. So that was stored in the Ark of the Covenant and also the staff of Aaron which budded and produced almonds. We don't read that story in Exodus either. You can read that in Numbers chapter 17. How Aaron's staff was placed in the presence of God, dead piece of wood and overnight it it grew branches and leaves and almonds. And all three of those things, the Ten Commandments, uh, the staff that budded and the golden jar of manna were placed in the ark of a testimony as a testimony to God that his people had sinned against him. They had broken his ten commandments. They had rejected the leaders that he had appointed. That's the picture of the staff, Moses. They had complained when he had provided for them the jar of manna. And all uh, three of those things pointed to areas where God had brought judgment against his people. But we read in verse uh, 6 of this same chapter that over top of this, a lid, over top of this ark, a lid was placed. Verse 6. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold and he made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on the one end and the one cherub on the other end of one piece with the mercy seat. He made the cherubim on its two ends. The mercy seat was that lid that was placed on the Ark of the Covenant. Read here it was made of pure gold. Um, it would have weighed in excess if it was an inch thick. 750 pounds. And so this is not a pure solid gold. Um, Crafted on the top of it forming one piece were these two angels with their wings forward pointing over the center of this this cover, this lid. And it was there where once a year the high priest would come into the most holy place on the day of atonement. He would bring the blood of the sacrifice and he would put blood on that mercy seat and he would say God forgive us our sins. Forgive the sins of your people. We've sinned against you. And the Lord would look on that blood and he would have mercy on the sins of the people. Of course, we remember that these things are a pattern of what is in heaven. Jesus, our great high priest, went into heaven to the throne of God where he presented his own blood at the mercy seat. And the shed blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, without spot and without blemish, was presented to the Father and the Father forgave and with his blood, Jesus ransomed us. With his blood, he purchased us. With his blood, he redeemed us. Amen. Verse 10. He, al- he also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length and a cubit its breadth and a cubit and a half its height and he overlaid it with pure gold and he made a molding of gold around it. This table we call uh, the table of showbread, was in the first room of the tabernacle. So when you uh, came in, it was in there to one side. Uh, I forget what side, I want to say to the right. And um, each week the priests would put on this table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it spoke of God's provision for his people. And these loaves of bread would be Uh, placed in there. In fact, um, Jewish rabbinical tradition says this, that when the bread was replaced weekly, that when they would come to take it and remove this week old bread, that it was still warm and fresh and hot and you could remove it from the presence of the Lord and you could put down new pieces and it's like nice fresh bread coming from the presence of God, just like it came out of the oven. Of course, Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He said, "Your, Your fathers ate manna in the desert. The bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 17. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. Solid gold. This lampstand standing in that first room again across from the, the table of showbread. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. The psalmist said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And here this lampstand stood in the holy place. It was the only source of light in the tabernacle. Seven lamps on this lampstand. But imagine walls of gold. And these seven lamps lit. And the whole room being lit up with the reflection of the light from the lampstand. You know Jesus said to his disciples. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither does a man... Light a lamp and place it under a bull. No, he, he sets it on its stand and, and it gives light in all the house. And Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. And I think of this lampstand. The tabernacle, all of the tabernacle reflected the light coming from that lampstand. And yet, the New Testament tells us we're the dwelling place of God. That we're his tabernacle, that we are his temple, and as his tabernacle, in the same way, our lives should reflect Jesus Christ, the light of the world. How about the altar of incense, verse 25? He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, its breadth was a cubit, it was a square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece. With it. He overlaid it with pure gold. Um, This was just outside the most holy place. So let's say you, you walk in from the east. The table of showbread is to your right. The lampstand is to your left. And then before the curtain. Was this altar of incense. Just outside the most holy place. Where the priest would. Uh, burn his incense, and he would offer prayers on behalf of the people. That's the place where Zachariah was standing when the angel met him and prophesied the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Jesus is our great high priest uh, who lives forever to intercede for us. In heaven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the word of God tells us, and yet he has taken up permanent residence at the altar of incense where he's praying for you where you're the focus of his prayers. Because he loves you. Isn't that awesome? Chapter 38. Hey, we're doing okay. I think we'll make it. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length and five cubits its breadth. It was a square and three cubits was its height. It was overlaid with bronze. You'd read further on there. The altar of burnt offering was set up now outside in the courtyard. You can see it on the picture there out front with that fire on top of it. This was the place where the animal sacrifices were offered for the sins of the people. Uh, The claim is in rabbinical lore again that when... There was a sacrifice burning on the altar, and that the smoke was rising up from it. That it didn't matter if the wind was blowing south or east or west or whatever the weather was doing, that smoke would rise from that altar like a pillar straight up into the heavens. And the Bible tells us it was an aroma that was pleasing to God. And it's a picture of the cross. Jesus Christ made the sacrifice for us and shed His blood for us. Verse eight: He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is pretty cool. You know, Egyptians are credited with uh, developing makeup and cosmetics. And now, I know this because I've watched my wife, but like that's like a tricky process. <laughs> You need a mirror. And they didn't, in those days, their mirrors were made of, of polished bronze. And so they would polish the bronze. And, and we know that if a woman is going to put a makeup on, she needs a mirror, you know, so that the lipstick goes on without the, and uh, the smudge across the face. And, you know, as I've watched my wife, it, it takes fine coordination skills to do the eyes, you know. You know, I'd give a guy one of those things, we'd probably poke our eye out, right? And the point is, you you need a mirror. And so outside the tabernacle was this bronze laver. It was a, a washing place so that the priests could cleanse and wash themselves throughout the day as they were going about uh, the work of the tabernacle. And um, the mirrors of the women were melted down to build this thing. Of course, in scripture... The mirror is symbolic of the word of God. It, it's for cleansing. It's for washing. It reflects the nature of a man and then says, oh, I need Jesus. It shows us where we're dirty. It gives us a clear view of self. And ladies need a mirror for applying cosmetics. You know, I was just thinking about this. and I, I'm not taking a shot at like, I can enter some dangerous territory here. <laughs> Women drivers or anything like that? But I think ladies, you know, like if you can do this, you can back a car into a parallel parking spot. It's the same idea, right? <laughs> you know that the word uh, cosmetics comes from the root word cosmos, just for fun here. It speaks of order in the universe, cosmos. And cosmetics means to bring order out of chaos. So, so take that for what it's worth, okay? Verse 9. <laughs> Brave man, I heard that. Verse 9. And he made the court for the south side, the king. <laughs> I'm just hearing chirp, chirp, chirp. I have the microphone, okay? <laughs> Verse 9. And he made the court for the south side of the hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, 100 cubits. So the tabernacle, this tent was 15 feet by 45 feet. Surrounding the tabernacle was this fenced off area of curtains. Poles lashed on either side to the ground. And it formed what they called the courtyard. It was 75 feet by 150 feet. There was a door into the courtyard. If we read all the details, it was a curtain that was uh, uh, embroidered. There was a door then into the tabernacle. And there was a door then into the most holy place. So three doors. And Jesus, of course, said in the the New Testament, in the Gospels, I am the door. I am the gate. Uh, You can see a picture of these three doorways in when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Picture that. A door into the courtyard, a door into the tabernacle, a door into the presence of the Father in the most holy place. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In chapter 38, from verse 21 on to the end, Moses just records the weights and the items that were given in construction and, and in the offerings. One thing I'll point out is the amount of gold is pretty amazing. It's insane, actually. If you sit down here, like conservatively, I just went through it just really conservatively based on what they estimate, taking the low numbers every time. And here's what I got. All told, uh, 2,030 pounds of gold was collected from the people. Based on, you know, this week, 1,280 pounds an ounce, that is well over $41 million. Isn't that awesome? And that's like totally conservative. And that's only the gold. We're not talking the silver. We're not talking the bronze. We're not talking all of the other fine items. You know, so all told, this, this is a project that is like, Seriously, think about it. It's 75 million, 100 million dollars, likely in excess of 100 million dollars this project and all that's gone into it. And that's conservative. It's not exaggerating. Verse 39. Verse 1 says, "From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made holy garments for Aaron as for the Lord, as the Lord had commanded." Moses so chapter 39 just records the making of the priestly uh, garments again we see the blue the scarlet the purple the color of eternity heaven the color of redemption and scarlet uh, the color of royalty all woven into these garments Um, verse 6 says they made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engraving engravings of a signet. According to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. To be stones of remembrance. For the sons of Israel. As the Lord had commanded Moses. The high priest when he went into the presence of God. Bore on his shoulder these stones. With the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's that picture for us. That he is to carry the people of God by his strength. He bears them on his shoulders, that when he comes into the presence of God, he is to remember the people of God. And of course, there's a picture of Jesus, right? He bears us by his strength. When he is in the presence of God, he remembers us. Verse 8 says, He made the breastpiece and skilled work in the style of, of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns of fine twined linen. And so, this breast piece was placed uh, on the chest of the high priest because not only did he bear the people of God by the strength on his shoulders, but he was to bear them over his heart. Then emotionally, he was to care for them and he was to love them. And they were to be the thoughts of his heart when he came into the presence of God. And that breast piece, we, we know, was used. We went through this back in November was used for making decisions and and God would direct the decisions of the high priest and of the nation and even eventually of the king through this breast piece and and the people of God were always to be on the heart of the spiritual leader as he led them. Jump up to verse 22. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue. You got that picture of the high priest? Can you throw that one up? Wrap up here pretty quick. You, You see that Robe that was placed on the outside woven of blue because blue is the color of eternity. It's the color of heaven. The high priest in all his actions and all his work and everything that he was to do was to have a heavenly attitude. A a heart and a mind that was focused on eternity. He was to work for heavenly purposes. Verse 27. Hey, we're doing okay, aren't we? They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen and the undergarments of fine linen. I like this because linen was nice breathable fabric because the priest, so that the priest wouldn't sweat because God's work is not to be done in human fleshly striving. Uh, The Lord said it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by my spirit. Verse 30. They made a plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote an inscription like the engraving of a, of a signet, holy to the Lord. And they tied it to a cord of blue fastened on the turban. Over the forehead of the high priest was this gold plate said holy to the Lord. And it, it tells us that his mind... Uh, his thoughts, his thinking were to be governed by holiness. And you think of all of the things that can govern your thoughts. (laughs) You know, thoughts lead to actions and our character. And, And God says the thing that should govern your thoughts is holiness. Let your mind be set apart and consecrated to the Lord. Verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses. The tent, all its utensils, its hooks, yada, 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 yada. Okay, the whole list again. (laughs) Jump up to verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work And behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. So the work is finished. And everything is brought to Moses. And because he's received the instruction from the Lord, he inspects everything. And he gives it the stamp of approval. And I think that's a great picture of Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'll divide the sheep and the goats. He is our judge. You know, in Revelation chapter 20, we read about the great white throne. John in his revelation said this, I I, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what was done. You know, you can go throughout the, the, the gospels and read the different parables that Jesus told. I think of the different parables about talents where he entrusted the people and he comes back and he inspects. Moses inspected the work of the tabernacle and Jesus, you know what he is? He's a fruit inspector. He'll inspect the fruit of our and li- Inspect the fruit of our lives. Verse chapter 40. We come to the end. The setting up of the tabernacle. The Lord spoke to Moses saying on the first day of the first month. You shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall put in it the ark of the testimony. And you shall screen the ark within the veil. First day of the first month. Notice that. Because it's important. That means that exactly one year has passed to the day that the Passover happened in Egypt. Uh, You recall that back in Egypt they painted the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the lintel of their, their home. And when the angel of death came and he saw the blood he passed over the home. And one year later to the very day. For the first time, the nation would gather there. They would put the tabernacle together. There would be a sacrifice, and Aaron would now take the blood of the sacrifice for the first time, exactly one year later, into the most holy place, and he would present before the Lord that blood on the mercy seat for the atonement of the sins of the people over that year. And God would see the blood, and God would forgive Verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it with all its furniture, so that it may become holy. And you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting, and shall wash them with water. And put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him. That he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them. And anoint them as you anoint their father. That they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Verse 16 says, This Moses did. According to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. I love that about Moses. If we, if we just paused and we went through this with way more detail, you will read time and time again, Moses did it as the Lord commanded. And in chapter 39, eight times you read, Moses did what God commanded. And, and I would say this, you know what? We lack doing. You know, we know so much, especially in the North American church. We know so much and we lack the doing. The Lord desires that we would obey. His word says, Is not obedience better than sacrifice? Verse 17. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and he set up its frames and put I want you to notice who's doing it all. It's Moses. He laid its bases and he set up its frames and he put its poles and raised up its pillars and he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent of it the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses he took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles of the ark and the and set the mercy seat above the ark He brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting. Opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned the fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen door. For the of the tabernacle, he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and he offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and feet. And when they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen at the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. You notice that Moses gets all the credit. Do you see that? He did all the work. Uh, And over and over again, we read this continual emphasis on the obedience of Moses. And I'll tell you what, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I only do what my father tells me to do. And when the day comes, the Bible says, when we receive our crowns and we come before him, we'll worship and we'll cast our crowns down and we'll say, Jesus, it was all you all along. It was all you, Jesus. You did the work. You were the door. You did the work of the cross. You prayed for me. You were the light. You were my manna in the desert. You were my mercy seat. You were the blood that was shed for me so that I could have a relationship with my father in heaven. See, it's always about Jesus. To him be the glory. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. First time since Eden. First time since the garden of Eden that God tabernacles. He dwells in the presence of his people. And it's an awesome scene as you just think of the cloud coming. And it, and it being so dense and so thick and, and so real That they couldn't even enter the tent. And it was that cloud that led them in the desert for 40 years. When it moved, they moved. Where it stayed, they stayed. They camped. It's a great picture. Hey, that's the book of Exodus. You know, as we close here this morning, Exodus chapter 1 opens in the mud pits and the brickyards. with the crack of the taskmaster's whip and it ends with the glorious presence of God and his people before him worshiping at the tabernacle. His presence leading them all the way in between through the wilderness. And you know, I guess if just tie it up this morning, I would say this. God wants to lead us by his presence. God wants to lead us out of slavery out of slavery to sin and death and into his glorious presence and he wants to dwell with us and it all hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice. He is the substitutionary lamb of God who gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world and it was through that work on the cross that that veil was torn and that access into heaven was open to God. And you know, though your sins be as scarlet by the blood of Jesus, they can be as white as snow. And so uh, let's pray this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We'll close with a song. And uh, would you guys stand with me? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father this morning we recognize that it is your desire to tabernacle. To dwell. uh, To live with your people. It's your intention for your creation. That that thought consumes you. It's so consumed you that we read all these incredible details in Exodus. But. Even more than that, it so consumed you. You so loved the world that you sent your one and only son that we should not perish, but find everlasting life in him. And so Jesus, this morning, we just acknowledge as we read all these things, that it points to you. It points to you. And so Jesus, this morning, as we consider our sin, We consider the slavery of sin, the the entrapment of death. We thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood uh, for our lives so that we might find forgiveness of sin and that death, the angel of death, might pass over our lives and that we might become the dwelling place of God. So, Lord, I, I don't know everyone here, but I pray, Lord, that they would just pray this simple prayer of inviting you into their lives to be the Lord of their lives. And, and so if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, I just invite you to pray with me this prayer. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Forgive me. I repent of my sin. And in faith, I believe in you, Jesus. That in you I find life and the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of eternal life. Jesus, I invite you in to be the Lord of my life. And the amazing thing is, he does it. He comes and we become his dwelling place. And for that, Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.